If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit Cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. If I could go back and do things differently, I would do many, many things differently. But I had a very big assumption that it'd be a lot easier to just figure out the conditions for different types of seeds and different types of cultivars that are growing. We mainly focus a lot on organic, non-GMO based seeds that we can use in our device. So that's been a bit of a challenge, mainly to find the right amount of supplies. There was a lot of supply issues actually when it came to seeds as well. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, season eight is ongoing, underway, and in motion, no signs of slowing down. Regular listeners to the show, welcome back, and thank you so much for investing the time and energy it takes to listen through these episodes. I hope you're getting a lot out of them. I thoroughly enjoy these conversations, as you can sometimes tell from my excitement during these interviews. And I really appreciate you sharing your insights, sharing your feedback, emailing me, contacting me through the social channels about the impact it's having on you and how you're being educated on everything that's happening in the space and also learning a bit more about some of these fantastic CEOs, founders, and luminaries from the world of vertical farming, which really gets us excited, everyone, everyone that's involved about the opportunities and the possibilities for the future. And I still feel we're in our early, early days. And I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to be on this journey with you for the past three years. If you are new to this show, thank you so much for investing your time and taking a chance on this show. I hope you become a regular listener as well. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Alaric Overbay. He's the director of Greenside Up Farm. And we talked about the transformative potential of vertical farming and addressing food security issues in underserved communities. Regular listeners will know that this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. We talked about the work he's doing in Las Vegas, the tour they took us on of the food deserts, and the work that they're doing now in partnership with Harvests. I saw that Ali Danieli, a previous guest on the show, posted something on LinkedIn recently. So I'll be sure to show you some of the work that they're doing. They've got, I believe, five container farms on site. And this was after the tour. So it's so great to see something in motion happening, partnerships happening, and good work being done for communities, which is something I really enjoy. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Alberto Aguilar. He's the CEO of Plantaform. In this conversation, Alberto provides a captivating and insightful perspective on the challenges and opportunities of a rapidly growing CEA business. They've had a lot of success with their in-home farms. And in this conversation, you'll learn a little bit about the secrets to creating a successful product through constant innovation and adaptation. Together with his team, they're working on creating the world's first fogponic vertical farm. I'm excited to share this episode with you. You're going to hear valuable insights, not only on the future of sustainable agriculture, but also on the importance of work-life balance for startup founders, which is a topic that's been coming up a lot lately. As a reminder, if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I would really love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing pleases me more than to read those out on a future episode. 
Also, remember that these episodes are always chock full of great takeaways. And as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com at any time to read the full show notes for each episode, which includes guest links as well. Thought it might be helpful to give you a quick peek into my world lately. Things have been quite hectic as I've been on a men's retreat couple of weeks ago in Brennan, Washington. First time to that part of the country. We were at Camp Parsons and engaged with a group of about uh, probably 30 other men and did a lot of work. <laughs> some of it challenging, some of it pushing me to my limits. And it was a group with a group called Sacred Sons, which uh, if you're into that type of stuff, I highly encourage you to take a look at their website, sacredsons.com. Additionally, just after returning from that trip, I also had to continue packing and moving as my partner and I were moving still in Minnesota to somewhere just outside Minneapolis to another location temporarily. Still a lot involved, packing, deciding what to keep, moving boxes. It was about a week's worth of back and forth, coordinating with a moving truck, as you might know, as anyone knows who's done this before. It's one of the most stressful events on the list of most stressful events in a person's life. And so it definitely pushes you to your limit. So had to deal with all that. Seasonal allergies kicking in. So really, the last two weeks have been pretty crazy for me. And so I'm really grateful to now be settled into this new space and hopefully get some new conversations going in this space, upcoming interviews I have scheduled. And so it's been exciting for me, a reminder that things are always in motion and always to sort of slow down when you can take the opportunity to do so. And the last two weeks were a lot of back and forth movement for me in my personal life, in my personal growth as well, which is helpful for me at all times. I always want to make sure I'm continuously growing and developing myself. But that's been top of mind for me, and I'm grateful to slow down and share these few moments with you and help you every once in a while get a peek into my personal life so that you know there's a real person on the other side of this mic. And it's a, a lot of work to keep all these things in motion in addition to the work we do at Fullcast our podcast production agency. So excited for the upcoming interviews and also for some projects we're working on. We're in development of a few show ideas. And so we are always on the lookout for folks who are interested in possibly being a host for some of these new projects, if that's of interest to you, and also sponsorship opportunities. The high level themes are going to be conversations with funders in the space, tentatively titled AgTech Deal Flow. So expect more on that later. And we're also exploring the opportunity to do a show that provides a deeper dive into the successes and failures of some of the recent vertical farms in this space. So if any of those topics resonates with you and you wanted to talk further with me about it, by all means, anytime, reach out harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Alberto, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This year, Vertifarm takes place from September 26th through September 28th at the Exhibition Center in Dortmund, Germany. For those new to Vertifarm, it's the most significant trade fair for next-level farming and new food systems. Their international platform is set to showcase the latest developments in innovative controlled production systems for vegetables, salad crops, herbs, and microgreens, as well as sustainable fish, insect breeding, fruit cultivation, and medicinal plants. Vertifarm is shaping the future of vertical farming and new food systems. Reserve your ticket and learn more at vertifarm.de. That's V-E-R-T-I-F-A-R-M.de. 
when registering for the show, don't forget to use the promo code for listeners, VFPODCAST23. That's V-F-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-23. And you can enter that in the access code section when securing your ticket. This year, Indoor Ag Tech is coming to New York City's Times Square, and it's bringing together the world's leading growers, retailers, tech providers, seed companies, and investors. Join us from June 29th to June 30th to meet, expand networks, and produce fruitful partnerships. The team has been gracious enough to provide listeners of this show with an additional 10% off of the registration. Simply use promo code VFP when you register and lock that in. And by the way, if you're on the fence, remember that early bird discount ends on May 11th. After a pivotal year for CEA, the summit will explore what's needed to ensure the industry can continue innovating and growing into a crucial part of the global agri-food supply chain. Alberto Aguilar, co-founder and CEO of Plantiform. Thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thanks for having me on the show, Harry. Yeah. So we got connected through Cultivated, who regular listeners will know very well, but uh, we met briefly at Indoor AgCon, right? And so Indoor AgCon, what number conference was that for you this year? <laughs> that should have been, I think it's straight to number three or four. Wow. And how many are you up to now? We're late March of 2023. We had, I think we had three more after that. So now we're in around number six. <laughs> it is a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you get connected with the Cultivated team? So Eric actually reached out to us around two years ago. And he came by okay. our office uh, as they were mainly specializing on reselling indoor gardens. Yeah. And we stayed connected ever since. We became closer buddies. And then he just gave me a ring actually the week before Indoor AgCon happened in Vegas and told me, hey, you should actually be here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Booked the flight right away and met him the week after. What was your opinion of it? That was my second time. And it was actually last year was my very first indoor farming conference. So that was like my introduction into the world of indoor farming. And then I built up a good relationship with Suzanne and the team there. So, and it looks like they doubled in size. I'm wondering what your experience was like. I think it was super cool. I mean, there's companies from all around the world. We had some companies all the way from China to like New Zealand. It was Holland. Yeah, there was some from Holland yeah. as well. It was pretty crazy. Got to see a lot of the latest innovation in the industry and connected with a lot of other leaders in the industry. So overall, I mean, it was an incredibly fruitful event for sure. Yeah. So how do you think about, from a marketing perspective, in terms of best use of your time, there's no shortage of conferences. And even just from what I see coming into my inbox, especially with indoor farming, it's global. I mean, at this point, I'm getting notices about stuff happening in Africa and in India <laughs> and obviously all the, you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. It's, so you could end, essentially be on a plane nonstop throughout the year. So I'm curious how you think about where are the best opportunities for you and for Plantiform? I don't think it's ever a waste of time or a wasted opportunity, regardless of where it could be. We've made so many connections in Vegas that I was not expecting. And it's just about finding like-minded people in the same floor, right? That, yeah. that you never know what doors it can open up. So honestly, I mean, the more trade you go to, I feel like the more opportunities rise. And is it mainly you making the rounds or have you split it up with the team? We all tend to go together. Two of the co-founders, we tend to go to the trade shows along our sales and marketing team. Yeah. Uh, but now that the team's getting bigger, we're going to start dividing and trying to tap two shows at the same time if they're matching the same weekend. Okay. And where's home and headquarters for you now? We're based in Gatineau, so right here in the capital region of Canada. Not many people know what Gatineau is, so I tend to tell them, hey, it's just Ottawa, but just across the border. Okay. And what? And you grew up there? I actually grew up in Spain. I'm originally from Barcelona, okay. so I spent most of my life growing up there and 
was fortunate enough to be able to move around and lived in countries like Dubai, Indonesia, and now here in Canada. Yeah. What was life like growing up in Spain? What are some fond memories of that? Oh, pretty much everything. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's start with the weather. Days, warm weather year-round. Yeah. Uh, at the beach every single day. So, I mean, actually, one of my favorite memories probably growing up in, in our home where we had a gigantic garden and we're able to like grow any type of vegetables and fruits year round. And we know we're quite limited here in Canada <laughs> with our gardening season. So I kind of miss that. What part of Spain? Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, I've been to Barcelona and Madrid as well. Nice. Yeah. What were your best memories of Barcelona? The food. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the food, the music, the culture. I'm Salvadorian. I was born in El Salvador. And so we've done some like lineage history. And I, I've talked to my dad a little bit. I have a feeling that there's some lineage of mine that goes back to Spain just because of the... What's interesting is like if I go to El Salvador, like I don't look like a lot of like Salvadorians. <laughs> and, you know, people keep, you know, always think that I'm more like European. I've been like asked if I was ever, I've been everything from like Greek to Armenian, to Italian, to Spanish. It's just like, and I'm sure maybe you do too. I mean, you have one of those looks, you know, like that people could mistake you for a bunch of different cultures as well. All the time. And I feel like South America is very blended, right? Yeah. Uh, my mom was actually, well, she's actually Indonesian, the Asian appearance. And a lot of people yeah. are either like Filipino or Spanish, South American, all kind of like different nationalities as well. So I guess we're both on the same page there. What brought you to Canada? Studies. I had a big opportunity when I was in Dubai to choose to either go to university back in Spain or come here to Canada and I wanted a new adventure. And so I came here in 2014 and stayed ever since. Okay. What are your thoughts on Dubai? I was there recently, again, partnering with Cultivated, but we were there for AgriMe and probably going to be back again this year. I'm just curious, you ended up there and what your thoughts are of it were back then? I loved it. I mean, yeah. I moved to Dubai mainly to reunite myself with my mom and to play soccer. So I was playing soccer there at more of a competitive level and then lived there for around two and a half years. I think it was fantastic. It's such a extravagant world where it's all about the bigger, the better, right? You kind of see new things pop up every single week, so you never get bored of the city. Yeah, it's an interesting city and it's extravagant is probably the right word. <laughs> It's probably one of the most expensive malls in the world. And there's so much money and opulence there. It's interesting to see how they've shifted in terms of their focus, especially now what we're talking about indoor farming, right? Like there was like an aha moment with COVID about the fact that 95 plus percent of their food gets imported. And I think it was a bit of a wake up call. I don't know if you maybe saw as much back then, but definitely now when I did see, obviously the interest has peaked a lot since the last couple of years. There's always been an interest there. I think it was mainly about positioning and planning appropriately how to build those vertical farms. Back in 2012, when I was there, they were talking about this big green city in the middle of the desert that was going to be inside of a biodome and everything was going to be sustainable. I'm not sure how that's going on right now, but they've invested billions of dollars in vertical farms in the middle of the desert, right? Let it be vertical farms, container farms, such a wide variety of options. But have you noticed how like between the UAE, Qatar, and Saudi, now they're all kind of competing to be the lead in vertical farming. And most of that was actually established mainly Northern Europe and North America. So like, it's pretty bizarre to see that like the MENA region is now pushing to be the leaders in vertical farming. Yeah. And the interesting thing there is they've got the money to try a little, you know, a bunch of experiments, a bunch of 
projects. Aero Farms just opened up, launched a new farm there. It was in Abu Dhabi recently. And so, yeah, I just see a lot of activity happening. It'll be interesting to go back again this year and see how much more interest there is because Neom, I think, is the new city that's being planned in Dubai. So I think it's interesting to see because I think what that does is also moves the speed of innovation because there's companies trying to meet that specific need that they have out there. You know, completely different need. You know, you're seeing the whole range of whether people are doing something like you're doing at the consumer level or at the huge multi-thousand acre level in complete, very hostile environments (laughs) for growing. So it's interesting to see how people are innovating to meet those needs. Yeah, actually, talking about that, I think the MENA region might be probably the best R&D hub of the world right now, right? You mentioned funding, which have very deep pockets to invest in projects that might fail or might succeed. It doesn't seem like they care much if it fails as long as they're trying. And they're attracting lots of great talent worldwide. As you said, AeroFarms invested, like, I think it was $1.2 billion, a little bit more on building a facility in Abu Dhabi. And Emirates as well are building their own facility or indoor growing facility to supply all the food instead of the airplane. So like it's incredible the amount of progression that the country's making. And you mentioned it earlier, right? 95% of the produce is being imported. So like right on, that's the step to do it to promote sustainability and start depending more on their local economy. Yeah. And so I'm curious, as you were wrapping up your university studies, I get the sense from the company you started probably while you're still in, in college, <laughs> that you've always had like an entrepreneurial streak in you. And is that something that always, something that you have even before college, do you think you can start your own business? I mean, growing up in Spain, you know, we had a, the economy got a big crash after 2008. So I was always showing initiatives to make some extra cash on the side, with side hustles, whatever I could do. And then when I came to Canada, I actually started my first startup in my second year called We Were Born. Which, you know, was a cool gig with my first steps into entrepreneurship. Then three years later, I sold a company to a local property management and started a corporate relocation agency, which was, you know, I had more experience. It was a lot more fun. So we got some funding going. And then COVID killed it. COVID absolutely killed my startup, like many others out there. And that was a wake up call to start something fresh, to start something that maybe make a bigger impact. So that was around my fourth year in university when I decided to start Plantaform. Probably the best opportunity to start a company like this. Where did the idea come from? The idea actually came from my partner. His name is Kiwa. We actually met in high school in Dubai. We were best buddies back then. And he moved to Australia. And in his fourth year, his thesis was all about this smart indoor gardening system using phonics technology, which I was so caught off guard when he came up with that project to me. And, and I loved it. I fell off with it immediately. Was using new technology from NASA that he just found an article online about it. And food sustainability has always been something that I've been a big advocate about since I lived in Dubai. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Spain, mainly doing gardening for my entire childhood. And that was something I was really missing and I felt like I lost touch with. So when Kiwa came up with me with to me with his idea, I was like, man, let's turn this into a business. And I know it's a thesis, but like I feel like we can help lots of people and, and promote this new technology which can essentially scale to a bigger impact when it comes to food production. So the end of 2019 is when we started talking about it. And if you remember, March of 2020 is when, you know, everyone just oh, yeah. panicked about COVID and all the borders just shut and the world just did a full upside down. So that was actually when COVID killed my business and I decided to just move full time onto Plantaform with Kiwa. And we said like, you know what? 
this is a, a chance, like a one in a lifetime chance to fully focus on this. We don't have any social life right now. Nobody's going out. Everyone's staying at home. We might as well use this time and be obsessed by making this product happen. And that was actually the birth of Plantiful. And we incorporated in May 2020. And ever since, we've just been grinding it out throughout all the lockdowns and pandemics. It doesn't matter what happened. We just made this entire company happen. What's interesting is that this podcast actually started in March of 2020 as well. <laughs> I've told that story often. I was, I had the idea. I got the show shows going and we, I own a podcast production agency. So we know how to produce shows. I've got another show that I've hosted for eight years. I've done long form interviews. So I had all the pieces and then I was lining up. I lined up by David Farquhar from IGS as my, you know, one of my early interviews, but it was locked down. And I've told the story a couple of times, but I said, Hey, do you still want to do this? He's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and. You know, he was probably in his kid's bedroom and, and I was, it was just an interesting, it was a special time, you know, because every, it's like the world got a little closer. People were more empathetic and genuine and, you know, we all kind of were going through this thing together. So it's definitely an interesting time. Like we never experienced anything like that in our lifetimes ever again. So it's interesting to say that we've been through that, that experience. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious how that colored your decision making because obviously the big, Thing to think about during that time was the impact on supply chains, the awareness of people's access to fresh foods, food deserts, you know, like all these things were coming to place. And I'm sure, you know, in hindsight, it looks like, wow, we made the right choice. <laughs> we jumped into the right thing at the right time. But as we were getting deeper and deeper into the pandemic, how did that color the decisions you make about where you wanted to take the business? I think it lightened up the path a lot better. When we started, I mean, we faced lots of challenges when it came to supply chain, as you mentioned. We were getting supply parts from China and overseas to test with, prototype. Any local stores that we could use or businesses to collaborate with were just closed. So we really had to figure everything out from the beginning. We started with some 3D printers, printing in our own homes. It was in Australia, so imagine we're doing video calls every single day wow. in some time zones. And then we started assembling a remote team where we've never even met in person. So it was very interesting. Now, how did that impact our decision-making? As we progressed with the prototypes of the first smart indoor garden that we designed, it just became more clear that there was a demand for this type of products. And there's lots of competitors that were established in around 2016, 2017 that have been in the market for a while. So we kind of had to focus on a new value proposition, right? It had to be, the functionality had to be more enhanced, it had to have a better design, and the technology was sexy. It's this, you know, phonics essentially, it's a new aeroponic type of system or irrigation system that uh, uses an ultrasonic atomizer to vaporize the water into these tiny microns that allows the roots to be able to absorb the water, the nutrients, and the oxygen more efficiently, which it seemed like it came out, out of like a sci-fi movie. And then we took over that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we decided to test it for, for many, many months. It didn't essentially go the way we wanted it at first. And it was very tough to like find the right people to couple with this technology. But as you said, people were in the so you start reaching out to the Canadian National Research Council, all university professors in the agri-tech industry, and everyone was super helpful. As you said, it was a period of time where everyone just decided to leave their egos on the side or any type of doubts on the side and would do anything to help another startup or in this case, young entrepreneurs to build something new for the world. So after receiving so much support and openness to the development of the product, we decided that, you know what, this is definitely the right decision. Let's go raise some more capital. And then, you know, after, once the pandemic started to calm down, the product was nearly done. 
we had enough traction, enough investments to move the company forward. But then the fact that people were lining up in front of the supermarkets to just get their groceries and were limited in what they could get, just opened our eyes. We have to launch this as soon as possible before things even calm down again. But with that came a lot of line of problems in the supply chain. Again, we have to manufacture everything here locally. We actually have a factory out of in Montreal where we do all of our plastic injection molding. A lot of the electronics are supplied from here in Ottawa. And now that the supply chains calmed down, we still believe that it was the right choice. This is a 100% local made in Canada product. The Canadian population has really, really welcomed us when it came to development of this product being local. And a lot of people really are buying the product just because they know this has been made in Canadian soil. So overall, I think everything was meant to be the way it has been. And we did grab that opportunity and made the best out of it while it lasted. That's an awesome story. So for the benefit of the listener who is not familiar with Plantiform, do you want to talk a little bit about what the product, current product offering is, who the audience is, and you know how you're delivering, and essentially kind of the whole story about who the audience is for this? Yeah, of course. So we created the Rejuvenate, which is the world's first smart inner garden using this aquaponics technology. We got inspired by Nespresso since you can grow up to 15 plants at a time using the smart pot for the seeds are already inside of them. To make it work, you simply add the pots into the system, you add some water and nutrients, and with the click of a button, you'll grow all your vegetables year-round. Unlike the typical pitch of other smart indoor gardens, this one actually lasts up to three weeks without having to add water. It is fully self-autonomous to the point that it controls your watering, your nutrients, the lighting wavelengths can change depending on the cultivar that you're growing, and even the temperature inside can be controlled. It was a very big factor for us because in Canada, a lot of people do leave their devices or the indoor gardens in their basement or near a window where it gets very cold and affects the plant growth. So we're actually able to control that controlled environment inside of the system through some sensors that we put around the device. Now, our audience, essentially, this is catered to those gardening lovers, food fanatics, and essentially people with a good interior design taste that just want to add that living piece of furniture aspect inside of any space. We've had a large variety of customers, ranging from the B2C aspect, which are the three categories I mentioned earlier, all the way to like actual large corporations who are buying them for that ESG approach. We have the retirement homes that bought many of them for their amenities. And right now we have lots of restaurant chains who are buying them purely to grow herbs. Like they don't care about the leafy greens, they don't care about the edible flowers, they mainly to grow herbs just because that way they'll never go bad and there's no food waste in the process. Yeah. And it's been super cool because rather than doing the outbound Calls, we're getting a lot of inbound requests from restaurant owners saying that we've seen this in television, we've seen this in these like restaurants, we want to have the exact same thing, I never want to spend more money in herbs, this is fantastic, and they're using it for their bar and their, and their certain dishes that uses the main cilantro and basil, which has been incredibly uh, fascinating to see that there was other usage to it besides the target audience that we're focusing on. When you start to deal with that range of people who have an interest in the product, how do you think about making something that meets all their needs or are you getting enough feedback so you can make the product itself versatile or customizable itself? You know, because you mentioned the restaurants will focus on the herbs. You know, maybe people who want it in their home are in fact doing the leafy greens. Do you have us and you talk about the pods as well. So do you have, I imagine you've given some thought into having people pick and choose essentially to what, what works best for them in their environment. Absolutely. I mean, I'm assuming most people don't want to grow the exact same produce all the time. So we have these different pod varieties with multiple different types of pods in them. They can grow like, let's say, a bunch of leafy greens, a bunch of herbs, different types of edible flowers. 
Now we're coming up with more of the cherry tomatoes and strawberry packs. But the very cool thing is that because the device is fully customizable due to that controlled environment, the user doesn't have to manually change any of the conditions. The plant pods have this QR code that through the app, you can just scan the QR code, put the pods, the device recognizes what you're growing and sets mm. the optimal conditions through the different stages of the plant growth to make sure that your plants are growing optimally and that they're essentially prompted to success. Can you grow multiple varieties of crops within the unit? Does, is it smart enough to recognize that you have different pods in there, or is it better if you have you know, a selection of the same type of pod? There's parameters in between what you can grow. Certain cultivars require different conditions like temperature, nutrient values. So the app will allow you to like say you can mix and match certain pods in there, but something just goes outside of that parameter, it just will just show red. So it won't allow people to grow at the same time. Okay. The cool thing as well is we have these empty pods that people can use on seeds. And then they go in the app with a library of all the different seeds and pods that you can grow so they can say someone was actually they contacted us a couple of weeks ago and they were testing the baby cucumbers. I was like, man, that's great. I mean, once you figure that out, please send me the information so we can figure out how to put that into the system. But they manually went on the app and set their own conditions, which allowed them to grow those baby cucumbers. And the plan outgrew the device a little bit, yeah. but it worked. So it's pretty cool that, you know, we have an audience, a DIY audience, that they tend to test different plant cultivars. And we can receive that data to see what works and what doesn't work and work with them to be able to launch new pot packs every season. So it's kind of like a feedback loop and a relationship with our customers to be able to improve and launch new pots based on their own testings. That's great to hear, especially that DIY ethos. It's almost, you think back to like the early computer days and, you know, you hear those early stories of like, Steve Jobs and you know how they would meet in the garage and like HP and like tinker with all the electronics and it sounds like you know there's always going to be every generation to have the people that if you give them things to play with and if they have that DIY ethos I think they're doing some of the R and D for you. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Have. No, it's been super helpful. I think it just shows that uh, maintaining the closest relationship with your clients at the end of the day is the most important thing since they are the ones who are going to build your business. How much of a learning curve has it been for you when you talk about, you know, cultivars, you talk about seeds, talk about pods, you know, all this different technology, even the whole world of seeds. I've had a couple of conversations with folks, you know, specifically for the needs that you have, not only in an indoor farming environment, but even in your case, just like an even more micro environment, which is like a desktop environment. And how much of a learning curve has that been for you? And, and what have you had to you know, learn about the whole world of seeds? Everything. I mean, if I could go back and do things differently, I would do many, many things differently. But I had a very big assumption that it'd be a lot easier to just figure out the conditions for different types of seeds and different types of cultivars that are growing. We mainly focus a lot on organic, non-GMO based seeds that we can use in our device. So that's been a bit of a challenge, mainly to find the right amount of supplies. There was a lot of supply issues actually when it came to seeds as well. So partnering up with the right supplier. I can promote the quality of the seeds and make sure that the germination is correct. And then figuring out a lot of trial and error in our systems to see what would work and what would not has taken a lot longer than we expected. So if I would have done things differently, for sure, I would have partnered up with other organizations a lot sooner to see if any of the systems would, or if they could trial our system for different cultivars that they could potentially narrow down, which would be the best plants to grow. But since we're using phonics, there was no research out there on what works best and what didn't. So it has been a learning curve from the first seed to the ones that we're still testing today. And unfortunately, we can't just grab 
the conditions that would go well in the hydroponic system and assume that they would work the same way in a, in a phonic system. So we're kind of building our own database now and articles when it comes to the different conditions for the seeds that we're testing. I'm curious about the form factor because it is like a beautiful unit and it's different than a lot of the form factors that you see for the in-home units because there's typically a standard like look and feel, more of a cabinet feel or an under the counter. There's a couple of different or a tower, I think there's a couple of different models. How much you obviously give it a lot of thought <laughs> and it's probably conversations you've had with your co-founder, but I'm curious how many iterations you went through and you know how did you end up at this final form factor and, and why was that important? We've gone for a, through at least a hundred different iterations, not even exaggerating that number. You know, first of all, we wanted, to, we wanted to make something very different from what there's in the industry. So design played a huge factor here. And then we pretty much interviewed many of the clients from our competitors. We, we actually went onto their Google reviews and started looking at some people commenting and just emailed them directly and said, Hey, you have a good 30 minute call. So I can just ask you a couple of questions about your experience. And we grabbed all the good feedback from those devices, but then focus a lot on the negative stuff. Um, you know, size has always been a problem for a lot of people. This tower gardens are incredibly high. Yeah. Uh, it works for many who are trying to be more self-sustainable. Yet for many others, they realize that it does take up a lot of space in your home. Yet the smaller country units are perfect to put in your kitchen counter, but they only grow three to six plants at a time, which didn't make it effective enough to put in the efforts to grow that amount of produce. So we wanted to find a little bit of an in-between when it came to the number of plants they can grow, the size of the system, and then the lighting was actually not a big problem. You know, a lot of the systems are very bright, they're intrusive into your household, especially the ones that are kind of like hanging outside of the system. So we wanted to make it integrated with the design. And then we have this very cool tinted magnetic windows that besides from protecting the, the produce from your pets, let's say, it actually blocks a lot of the light from entering your home. Um, okay. I mentioned earlier, it serves as a living piece of furniture. So it's very cool. So a lot of our clients are actually using it as a lamp. They have it in their living room next to their couch. And then at nighttime, let's say they put on some Netflix. They go in the app to bring them the, the brightness of the device. So it serves its purpose. I mean, uh, people have been very creative with it. And then finally, actually, one of the biggest accomplishments that we came with this device was actually solved accidentally through phonics. A lot of these vertical systems, right, they use an aeroponics system that pretty much flushes the water from the top and then drips all the way down, fitting all the roots from every single level. That's very noisy. And if you have that in your room or in your living room and you hear that water fountain going down all the time, it gets kind of irritating. And our system uses no water pumps. We actually only use fans that push down the fog to travel across the column. And we've really put in a lot of time to figure out the fluid dynamics to make sure that we're able to distribute the right amount of fog and water saturation among every single level. So it's the first vertical structure that is completely silent. People really appreciated that part. And of course, the magic of the fog escaping inside of the system makes it look like it's interactive, right? It's not a slow plant growing that you don't see any movements every day. You might as well watch your wall paint dry. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, it's always breathing and interacting with you and your living And for the Benefit of folks who are familiar with hydroponics, what are you calling the new ponics system? Is this something that you guys have invented or you've like created this hybrid ponics system that you mentioned? It's a fog ponics, F-O-G. NASA actually discovered this and they were essentially trying to grow plants in space and this is a lot more efficient with water. Fog ponics uses 98% less water than traditional farming. I mean, compared to hydroponics, which is a new standard, obviously, all across the agri-tech industry, 
uh, we use 40 to 60% less water than hydroponic systems and actually increase yearly crop yields by 20 to 200%, depending on the cultivar grown. So a lot more efficient in resources and a lot more productive when it comes to climate. Very nice. I saw recently that you posted about the chance to pitch at the mashup competition. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, that was a pitch that happened, uh, I think it was on Q4 of last year. It was an event here in Ottawa hosted by the Capital Angel Network. And we were the first agri-tech company to actually appear in that competition to pitch about Plantaform. And you should have seen people's faces as soon as I presented the product and told them that you can grow plant using fog. I think everyone was super confused. Some of them probably thought it was a scam. <laughs> but the majority, once they saw the product, they were just mind blown. They thought this belonged in a Star Wars movie or something sci-fi. Or on the Star Trek ship or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But overall, very positive feedback from the audience. We got second place there. And overall, I mean, we're pretty happy and proud that this was all developed out of this small city here in Gatineau that nobody knows of. And now it's starting to become more national, hopefully international in the next couple of years. So it was a good exposure of the brand. And overall, great to see the reaction from hundreds of investors to see the potential of this technology. Yeah, congrats on that. I saw it must have been a, a great experience. Are you looking to enter more types of those competitions or just, you know, is that something that's on the roadmap for you? In the summertime, we'll probably be applying for more. We've noticed that it does take up a lot of the time to just even apply, travel, and, and obviously compete in them. But we will resume those pitch competitions later in the year. Right now, we're really hyper-focused on increasing the capacity of our manufacturing and scaling right now for products to the vertical farming industry. So we're actually working on a project, two projects actually here in Quebec, to build the first aquaponics vertical farm in the world. So it's taking a lot of our time, a lot of funding. So we're trying to minimize the distractions and just focus on making this project happen. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. You briefly mentioned it in your icon. I was like, hold that thought. We're going to talk about this on the show. <laughs> so obviously, you could have continued on the path that you're on with what you have with the current product offering, and you'd still have your hands full. So I'm curious, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, you think critically about these types of decisions because they're important ones. What opportunities did you see? And I'm curious just about the thought process, you having these conversations with your co-founder about taking on this bigger scale project. It's pretty scary, not going to lie. It's one of those decisions that might make or break the company just due to the capital intensiveness of the project. But we've always wanted to do that. Our dream has always been to build a big commercial scale vertical farm that can essentially help contribute more to the food sustainability of the future. So, you know, it's been a couple of years. We didn't really have the time or the resources to focus on this. But after our partnership with Cultivated, which was established actually last year more officially, we started discussing about how can we focus now on building this vertical farm by using phonics. We've been testing it in our facility for the last two years and some vertical racks that we've built. They grow incredibly well. Now we're just figuring out how to make it on a larger scale. So after partnering up with Cultivated, we found a new partner that manufactures vertical farms. And this construction should essentially begin by the end of the summer, either here in Gatineau first or in Val d'Or, which is in the north of Quebec. We're looking at around a 25,000 square feet facility with a goal of producing around 17 to 20,000 vegetables per day. Since, you know, up here in Canada, I think the need for vertical farming is probably not as high, but close to being as high as in the UAE. Since we import 90% of our leafy greens from the US and Mexico. So that dependency on the import of produce is still scary. You never know really what can happen again with supply chains. And 
recently, I'm not sure how it is in the US, but lettuce prices here have hiked like up to $8 a lettuce head. Wow. Um, it's super unaffordable. It's a basic item that everyone uses. That as much vertical farms that keep popping up or greenhouses here in Canada, it's still not enough to self-sustain. So I wouldn't say really it's a competitive market. Rather than that, it's our opportunity to be able to enter and contribute to that needs. And, you know, we've found the land now. We already have the plans. We're getting the permits and the funding from the government. So now it's just about beginning the construction and making sure that we can build this farm properly and fingers crossed that all of our R&D is in place and we actually successfully build this first conics vertical farm here in Canada. So it's a long process, a lot of capital required to make this happen. But when we achieve this project, we believe that it's opening a whole new market. We're talking about licensing deals, we're talking about expansions. But right now, we're going to mainly focus on here in Quebec, since it's where we're located. And if we can make, do our fair share to contribute to making the province a lot more sustainable, then our goals have been met. What's been interesting and consistent for me in these conversations I've had with folks in Canada and entrepreneurs and business owners in Canada is I do hear a consistent thread about support from the government, support, you know, in this form of grants or even just like supporting the initiatives that are happening in the space, it makes for like a really helpful environment as an entrepreneur, as you're growing a company to have that support from the Canadian government. Oh, 100%. If anything, what allowed Plantform to stand on its feet has been the support from the government along obviously the private investors that we've got it. But the government pretty much focusing on the Canadian National Research Council has been supporting a lot of our R&D, if not everything in our R&D for the last three years. And now that we're trying to build this vertical farm, we reached out to Investissement Quebec, which is the Quebec government, and they've topped up their resources and finances to support the agri-tech industry. And they've actually announced, I think it was January, that they had replenished their funding by $1.2 billion or $1.1 billion to support the entire province. And they also announced in January that they were actually 50% self-sustainable. So the government in 2019, Quebec was around 10 to 12% self-sustainable. And in just three, four years, they've achieved 50% sustainability due to their you know, motivation in influxing more capital into the agricultural industry and promoting more of these greenhouses popping up all across the province. So we kind of jumped in at the right time, asking them to be partners in this project. They're very, very excited to be able to grow more or create more of these vertical farms to support local economies. And the goal for Quebec in the next three to four years is to become 100% self-sustainable. So we fit in right at the perfect category, let's say, or requirements for them to jump on board with us. And then the fact that we're using Falconics was really the icing to the cake that made them decide that, yeah, we have to help plant the farm. Let's make this company happen. Let's be part of this movement and see how this can essentially encourage other entrepreneurs to build more vertical farms across the province. Very exciting. Are you seeing a network? You mentioned other farms. Obviously, you can see connections with other indoor farm companies when you go to the conferences, but are you seeing more of a sort of a, a partnership vibe or a collaboration vibe when it comes to companies specifically in this space in Canada? Absolutely. It's not competitive at all. As I mentioned earlier, there's so much room for entry that other farmers or other vertical farmers, I guess it's the same term, a vertical farmer and a farmer is pretty much the same thing now. They all have a core motivation when they started that business and still to feed the local economy. As much as obviously the profitability behind it is one of the main motivators, they all started for the same reason. They were either previous farmers or just someone who's trying to help with the food sustainability challenge. So when they see a new 
let's say, competitor entering the market, they were very receptive and welcoming to us. Every time we asked for help, they're always willing to come and give us their advice and supply connections and try to uh, help us avoid the challenges that they came over. So we'd be very happy with the receptiveness of other vertical farmers across the region willing to help us and make this project happen. Anything, they were actually extremely excited that more of these farms were popping up and did not see us as a threat at all. And I guess that's why every time that these, most of these people sell to retailers and we have major supermarkets across the province that are always looking for new suppliers that are growing in Quebec and these farmers can't even supply it because the demand is so high. So by them being able to see other people jumping in and offering their produce as well, it just keeps reassuring from their end or their relationship with the supermarket that hydroponics or any type of vertical farms, realistically, is the solution to be able to supply that demand here in Quebec and Canada overall. So overall, yeah, I mean, super happy with how, how everyone has been in the industry. I'm surprised there hasn't been a Canadian conference specifically for vertical farming with so much activity that's happening in the region. <laughs> I mean, they're obviously all over the place, but I, mean, I just keep hearing there's so much. It's almost like a not exactly a Silicon Valley aspect to it, but there's a lot of activity happening in the different provinces, I think, which is pretty exciting. It would be, I think there's some micro like trade shows, maybe, or some yeah. organizations around, but nothing as big as like indoor Akon. Like, if that happened here in Canada, It'd be filled by all the Canadian farmers going there for sure. But I guess for now, we're just left with the option of flying down to Vegas every year and <laughs> seeing everyone else in the industry. Yeah. And there's the Indoor Ag Tech NYC conference that's in Brooklyn, and that's picking up steam as well. So I'll be at that. And then Vertifarm in Dormant in Germany. I think there's one happening in Qatar in May as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole MENA region, there's like overlapping on each other. I think there's two in Dubai. And a couple in Abu Dhabi. There's like, like you said, there's a, a bit of a competitive nature, I think, with people. I just got contacted by someone who's starting a new conference in Abu Dhabi. And so they're talking about getting some promotion for that as well. But again, because of the need, the big, big, big need and big, big, big interest out in that space, I think there's right now room for everyone to try to give it a shot and see <laughs> if they can build that buzz around the space. I'm curious when you talk about Fogponics for your, the bigger project, does that change the type of crops you'd be focused on because of the technology, or are you going down the same route with leafy greens as well? We're going around the same route, but we're mainly focusing on leafy greens such as lettuce, kale, and potentially like herbs such as basil, maybe cilantro. But we're trying to make an effort to stay away from lettuce since everyone else is making lettuce. And I don't think we need more vertical farms focusing on that. <laughs> yeah. So we're making a big effort working with the Ministry of Agriculture of Canada and the Canadian National Research Council to focus on other items such as strawberries, potentially cherry tomatoes. But if we can focus on those cultivars and we can actually succeed with it using phonics, we'll be for sure focusing on just scaling that, that production itself. Sounds like you have a lot of initiatives underway. I'm curious, having started the company yourself with your co-founder, started in the consumer side, now moving into the bigger production. How have you had to evolve as a CEO, as a leader, you know, wearing these different hats, understanding like all these moving parts, learning things you probably are learning for the first time. So I'm curious, you know, what that journey for like for you has been. I mean, I guess it's a mixture of excitement and anxiety <laughs> in a way. You know, we made it very clear among the team, and this is both execs and employees, that plant is growing at a very fast rate. And if 
anyone falls behind on this growth and plant from outgrows anyone, that person will have to be replaced, including myself. And with that mindset, it really allowed everyone to always be a step ahead of the unforeseen challenges that are going to be coming up and how to be the right person for this role for what Plantform needs in the next couple of months. And with that mindset, I mean, we're always preparing ourselves to be, you know, in my case, it's who does Plantform need as the CEO for 2024, let's say, for this project to succeed? And the best way to figure that out is, I mean, talking to other experts in the industry who have done it, right? Get the right mentors, talk to other vertical farmers. Since now we're moving more to the B2B space, I am more surrounded by other CEOs in the vertical farming industry, learning from them on a daily basis, staying up to date with the news, and attending all these conferences to really be up to date with what's happening in the industry. Uh, now, that doesn't mean we don't go through mistakes. We make tons of mistakes all the time. But we are well, luckily, we're well surrounded with a good board of advisors. The team itself has a good network of, of uh, let's say, people with the similar roles in different companies. So we really are learning from each other and trying to stay ahead with the growth. So that's how we've been coping it. And of course, not your, like every other startup, it's your typical 80 to 90 hour weeks where you're trying to figure everything out and change hats and figure out how to do that role if nobody can figure it out. And while still being lean on the cash flows to be able to make it that far. What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? A tough question. A couple of weeks ago, I actually had a talk with the board of advisors and, and the architect. And I was like, this next project is scary. And I hope I can be the right CEO to make it happen. But I need all of your honest opinions to say I'm the right CEO to make this happen. And I offered to even like, you know, if you need to find someone more qualified who can get this project, you know, successful, I'd be willing to give them the role, whatever it takes to make Phantom succeed. So being able to set the ego inside and determine that whatever is best for the company means me stepping down was a thought that kept coming to my head. And I asked the board around it. Everyone was confident that we have the right management, that we are on track with everything. But I think having that thought is humbling enough to know that we do not know everything, that we need to always keep up with what's going to come. So it, it always keeps us on our toes. Everyone in the team is always on their toes. And I think that really plays a huge role in the success of, of the company. It takes a lot to ask those tough questions, right? Because you have to be humble. You have to check your ego at the door. And if your mission is really do what's right for the benefit of the company, even if it means that you may not be the person you know, at the end of the day, making the, leading the company in that direction, you know, obviously this is still your baby and, and still your passion. But I think something that a, a lot of leaders and CEOs struggle with, I'm curious where you picked up that trait. If you can think back, <laughs> is that something you were taught early on? Is this just a family trait? I'm curious, you know, this idea of, you know, doing the right thing, having this humble approach. My second startup I mentioned earlier, we did corporate relocations and I came up with that idea yet gave the CEO role to my other co-founder who had a lot more years of experience in, in the industry. And I guess that was the first step that I learned that, you know, regardless of the idea is fine or not, my best interest is for the company to succeed no matter what. And a couple of weeks ago, that thought came up just because we had some delays with supply chain recently. We had some issues with manufacturing and as much as I was trying to figure out everything, I just felt I was getting more overwhelmed and more anxious. And at one point, I was scared that I was not even able to control all these moving factors in the company. So, I mean, as I said, it's more the fact that there's so many investors involved in this company right now. And 
my team as well, right? They're, they're, it's families being fed through Plantaform right now that if I made a mistake and that costed the company's lifeline, it would be my fault. And no matter what happens to the success of this company, it will fall under my blame. So it's that moment when I realized that like, hey, like I don't want to be responsible for that if everything goes down and I want to do whatever it takes to make sure that I can avoid that situation. And if that means finding someone smarter than me and someone better than me, then it's something that I was willing to do. But thankfully, I have a good team behind me that supports my thoughts and can, and the board of advisors support the decisions I've been making. So it's more about the fact that we're all in the same boat. And if we need to switch positions once in a while to find the perfect role for everyone, it has to be done. And we've done that. We've moved several positions around from executives to employees to find the best fit for them. So right now, things are going well. I'm still confident I'm the right person for this role, but always willing to take a step aside if we find someone better that can push the boundaries of our growth. So that's a good mindset that everyone has in the team. Very admirable. What do you do to find balance in your life? I don't have balance. <laughs> Which <laughs> is, this is my plan A and there's no plan B. I wake up in the morning and I focus on my to-do list that I planned the night before and I get through it the entire day. And I mean, last night I was still sending out documents and emails at 1 a.m. So it's, I don't think there's such a thing as a work-life balance when you're in a startup phase. So right now it's pretty much 90% of my time with Pantaform, 5% of the time to eat and go to the gym and then 5% of the time with my girlfriend. That's the fair life balance that I have. Yeah. No, I'd say I totally agree as an entrepreneur myself. There is no, it never evens out. You know, there's always like that seesaw. You At certain times during your company, you have to put in the work. But the good thing is you do, you know, I think as it is important to take care of yourself though. So the fact that you have like a gym and I think for me, just finding something similar as well helps to offset the anxiety sometimes <laughs> of all the things that are going on. So it's good that you have that. So as we wrap up, I've been leaving some space at the end of these interviews because there's a lot of people in the industry that listen, a lot of your colleagues, a lot of your peers in the space. Do you have a message? Is there something you want to talk or say to people that are in the world of vertical farming that are listening to this that's just top of mind for you? I guess it's the same tip that everyone gives in entrepreneurship. And it's just not to be scared or worried about what this big step might be. Let it be you focusing on building a vertical farm or building a, a, a equipment that can facilitate vertical farm. There's, I mean, in Vegas, we saw there was all types of boots over there from brokers to actual vertical farms to these water systems to X, Y, and Z. It's an industry that's going to keep growing. And although some people believe that it might not be as profitable and others might think that it might be capped, it's the only way out. And because of that, I mean, the sooner we, any of us start, the sooner we can contribute to this need and the sooner we can meet that demand of doubling the food supply by 2050. Regardless of the age, regardless of the experience, realistically, as long as you put your mind into it, anything can happen. And if you go with the core values, which is to help with food sustainability, you'll overcome any challenges. If you're doing it just for the money, it's going to be very tough. So for sure, I think having a good balance of your values with the purpose of the business and obviously, I'm thinking on the profitability behind it. No matter what you're doing in the vertical farming industry, it's going to work sooner or later. It's just about finding the right steps and moving forward and having a collaborative mindset to work with other leaders in the industry to learn from and share any resources and data that you might have found that can benefit anyone else. Unlike many other industries, as I mentioned earlier, in Canada, we're super supportive towards one another. And I think, I strongly believe that in the next decade, we're going to see another movement 
when it comes to collaboration. I don't think if it's an industry that's going to be monopolized. Yes, there's bigger competitors like Aero Farms and Plenty going around and taking over a lot of bigger farms. But as I said earlier, there's so much room for entry that a thousand tiny vertical farms can make as big of an impact as one of the larger ones. And we need both in this industry. So I'm very, very excited to see what's coming up in the next couple of years. Obviously, we always encourage anyone to enter this industry and take that leap of faith that they're going to do some good in the world. That's a great way to wrap up. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. And I think it is really, like I say, almost every episode, it's all hands on deck moment where everything, everyone is needed. Everyone's help is needed. Everyone's expertise is needed. Everyone's enthusiasm is needed. And I think there's plenty of room for growth. And I think if we adopt that mindset of cooperation and helping each other out whenever possible, I think we'll all end up better in the industry for it. So I appreciate you echoing a lot of the thoughts that have been shared here previously. And I think that's the right approach. Thanks so much for your time, Alberto. It was really exciting to connect it with you and just to hear all the different ways people are entering the space. And the fact that we started around the same time is fun too, because <laughs> it's been so exciting to see the potential. So really excited for what you and the team are doing at Plantaform. Plantaform.com is the website. Anywhere else you want to send people to learn more about what you're working on? They can follow us on our social medias. We're very active on Instagram, TikToks, anything with Plantaform, they can find our names on those social media platforms. Okay. And we'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes as well. Thanks again for being generous with your time. Thanks a lot, Harry. It was a pleasure being on the show. Thanks again to Alberto for coming on the show and sharing his story and the success of Plantaform, both with their in-home farm and the work that they're doing to create their own fogponic-driven vertical farm. Very exciting developments, and Alberto and his team show no signs of slowing down. Special thanks to our Season 8 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking to a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFB. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Tune in next week for my conversation with another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. This time it's Gabriel Zarafonitis of Farm Anywhere. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.